You know, delivering excellence is more than just 18 wheels moving products around the country. Trucking is complex, and its people are passionate. Accommodating a diverse driving workforce, ever-changing regulations, supply chain demands, and new technologies all present their own challenges, but in trucking, the creative and the innovative succeed. Let's understand the people that drive and support the trucking industry, and welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cab. I'm your host Tim Krolski and today I have with me Mike Blackburn uh, with the Pub- Public Utilities Commission or also known as PUCO for short. Uh, he is the Hazardous Materials Investigator Motor Carrier and Rail Enforcement Transportation Department. Right? That's the whole title. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it says on the business card. It's just qu- quite an impressively long title. <laughs> Um, Mike, what, what brings you here today is, is, uh, um, we had recently as a, as a trucking company went through, uh, uh, an audit and, um, the experience was a good, uh, learning experience, which I imagine for some might be hard to accept or to understand that, you know, I put the good, the word good with an audit. Um, but it, it, it was overall, it was a good experience, good learning experience. We had, um, you know, a couple of new players, including myself, first time that I had been through an audit. Um, we had, uh, we have a brand new safety director first time through an audit and our HR director decided that being on vacation and being far away was a little more important than being here. <laughs> <laughs> so it put us into, in, in kind of a different, different situation than, than what maybe you would normally even experience walking into the building. So, um, again, uh, we're, we're going to get into kind of some of the detail and some of the things that, uh, that, that happened during the, the course of the audit and some of the things that we learned. Uh, through that experience, but I, f- I felt like it was most important to start just by getting a little bit of history on Mike Blackburn first. So or- originally, you're from the area, correct? Correct. I uh, grew up just down the road um, near the city or village of Bluffton, went to uh, Coy Rawson High School, graduated from there, and then moved just down the road to Ada, Ohio, where I'm currently living, lived there since uh, roughly 1990. And graduated from Ohio Northern University. Good university too. Well, thank you. Nice campus. How how long have you been with uh, PUCO? I've been with the PUCO twenty two years now, and I have about twenty five total state uh, years of service. Awesome, awesome, and we appreciate that too. So, um, just in terms of uh, uh, you, you've got a little bit of affiliation too with some larger equipment stuff. I think we talked a little bit about some farming and stuff like that as well i do like to dabble in uh, antique tractors yeah playing um, around a little bit yeah right? i got that from my dad and, and my younger brother he's he's into that too um just um as a matter of fact there's a there's a show in uh sydney ohio this this weekend i'll be going to oh okay all right i have a good friend of mine that uh when i went to college uh, he's originally from sydney or as he would call it squidney ohio <laughs> And uh, uh, so I've been down there quite a bit. They got a lot of castles and very odd things going down 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 in that area. Um, so those the tractor show does that last all weekend long then, or yeah, I think, believe it's uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, are they doing some pulling and stuff like that too. I or? imagine they will. Right. Yep. You make it up to BG as well then. Uh, I don't do the the heavy duty tractor pulls. I mostly get into the antique stuff. Yeah. Now there yeah. is a great big show in Wasion, Ohio. Uh, up in the northwest corner there in Fulton County, 
I really enjoy that one. That's usually uh, middle of June. Okay. A lot of stuff for sale at those events? Or? Yeah, a lot of okay. flea markets, tractor parts, right. antique tractors. Get the stuff you need then. If if you're looking for it, it's probably there. <laughs> what about other hobbies? What, you, what else are you into? I like to listen to uh, music, a lot of um, 80s hairband type music, uh, spend time with my family, wife and two daughters. Uh, they both do soccer, um, outdoor type activities, things of that nature. Keep, keeps you busy, especially this time of year, I imagine. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I want to thank you for joining me today and, and just kind of to get to the nuts and bolts of some of the things that that we wanted to discuss. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty eye-opening experience in total. Um, and I, I guess first, the first thing we need to understand is that what does your job entail in terms of, you know, coming in and doing an audit? What does that look like? So a, a good description, a, an overall description of my duties uh, obviously, the compliance review, which would have been the audit that, that you went through, uh, that is one of the functions that I do. We also do roadside inspections. Everybody is, usually has gone through that as a driver. Um, I concentrate on hazardous materials on those roadside inspections. We also do the new entrant program. So that's what I like to call a mock audit. It's um, more commonly maybe referred to as your get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> so there are no fines or penalties for that. Uh, it's designed for educational purposes so that getting you started on the right foot, what rules and regulations are you subject to and how best to comply with them. Uh, then we also have this portion of the job, the public outreach program. Mm -hmm. I do really enjoy that to where we can sit down, have a discussion on how to best achieve compliance, meet in the middle type, so to speak, uh, as a fence post, see each other's side of the, the perspective, and, and how, do, how can we best achieve overall compliance and keep, keep everybody happy? That's how I tend to look at the, the functions of my job. So for the get out of jail free, is that, is, is that dependent on size of carrier? Actually, it depends on interstate commerce. So when someone applies for a new U.S. DOT number mm -hmm. and or operating authority, they're thrown into the new entrant program that is uh, operated by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. We are state partners for them, so they let us know who has applied for those credentials, and we conduct those investigations typically within 12 months of obtaining their numbers. Okay. And as I said, it's designed to educate those folks on what rules and regulations they would be subject to, depending on what type of equipment and cargoes they may be transporting. So no limitations on size is just simply within that first year. If you've if you've got a brand new DOT number, you're going to go through this this process. If you are operating in interstate commerce or transporting interstate freight, that is correct. So we do uh, new entrant audits on single owner operators, for example, mm -hmm. all the way up to multiple hundred or even thousands of driver uh, carriers. I think that's a great way to kind of set the stage, uh, you know, f for the things that carriers need to be aware of and the things we need to be paying attention to. It's a great way to get get things started. Um, so we talked a little bit about the fact that you came in for an audit, but there's two types of audits. Generally, yes. Uh, from a compliance, per, per, excuse me, review perspective, there's a comprehensive investigation. Everybody calls that a full audit or a focused investigation where we're looking at just certain segments of your operations. 
each one is dependent on uh, who makes the assignment and for what reasons the assignment was made for. So to have a comprehensive or a full investigation conducted, there's usually already a lot of roadside data that's negative that mandates a comprehensive investigation be done. Okay. Now also, as part of the new entrant program, part of being in that, if there are some what I like to call red flags that pop up, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration and or our office has the ability to take you out of that and conduct a full comprehensive compliance review in lieu of the new entrant audit, the pass-fail audit. Okay. Uh, so that could be a reason for that investigation also. The focused investigation is typically for someone that has uh, two or fewer CSA categories that are deficient or maybe a complaint for one or two areas. And we're only look, going to concentrate and look at those areas. Right. So for us, it was um, it was mostly about uh, our our clearinghouse and some some procedures and, and things there. And then the other piece was logs. Those were the couple of pieces that, that were the main focus of of the investigation. And, uh, you know, we learned a lot through that process. Uh, we learned there's a couple of things that we needed to be accountable for that we weren't. And um, it was, again, a very helpful process to, to go through. I know as you come into any carrier, any facility, it has to be a bit concerning, obviously, from both sides of the fence. You see the PUC, PUCO car pull up and, 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 you know, the concern of, okay, oh, God, what are we, what are we getting into now? Uh, but for, for, from your perspective as well, you're coming into an environment where you may not be sure how you know, welcome you're going to be or um, what, what sort of concerns may arise during the course of that, that visit. Um, how do you like to set that stage as you, as you come into a facility? What, what are some of your thoughts and practices that help you kind of set the stage up? From my perspective, I, I feel it's important to set the tone early that I'm there to do my job and I usually carry with me the reasoning why I'm there and share that data with the folks that I'm going to be interacting with so they have a full understanding of I'm not just there picking them out of the air so to speak there was a reason for the assignment here's what it is let's discuss it and I also want to offer to them any education and advice useful tools resources that I can to help them going forward to mitigate those in the future and and my ultimate goal is when I'm done with an investigation the scores if they were present prior to me coming in the door go down and we see the success the reward for the company in the future compliance with those areas they were deficient in I, I think to that end and to that point, that's certainly the experience that we had, even down to the scores. <laughs> they actually, they actually did come down, which is which is great. Um, I think probably the timing was just you know just about right. But that that educational piece and the way that that was approached for us, and again, our experience uh, coming in was was a valuable one, and it, it taught us quite a bit. And um, getting some of those resources and tools that you need to have in order to operate as, as best you can. We're, we're a safe organization. As a general statement, we, we take a lot of pride in what we do. Um, we, you know, we, we think very hard and act very hard. We want to be uh, law-abiding. We want to we take care of our equipment, take care of our drivers, and do the right things out on the highway. 
Uh, but even there, there's always room for, for growth and opportunity, and you were kind enough to illustrate some of those things. Um, from your from your standpoint, and, and again, with the visits that you've had, 22 years, what do you see as some of those common mis- misconceptions maybe when it comes to PUCL? So uh, uh, what I will get into here is what I like to call some repeat things that I see typically in investigations. And I'm only going to highlight those that are somewhat significant in sure. nature, as we could talk days on this topic if we really wanted to. Uh, but I've, I've segmented this out into portions of the regulations so we can discuss those independently of some common areas that are deficient in those areas. Uh, the first one I'd like to, to chat on would be the Controlled Substances and Alcohol Program. It's primarily found in Parts 40 and 382 of the federal regulations. Uh, what I'd like to speak with here is a common issue we see is folks that don't realize that they're even required to do controlled substances and alcohol testing. They've not even begin began to set up a program. Okay. That's uh, surprising to me. It, it is. And and what I'm speaking of here when we talk about controlled substances and alcohol, if the equipment that you operate requires a CDL, then typically the controlled substances and alcohol program and testing regulations would apply to you. Currently, what what is really hot, so to speak, with controlled substances and alcohol is the clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. We're a little over three years into the clearinghouse being with us, but we still see a lot of common errors uh, with the clearinghouse in almost every investigation. And that usually stems to the queries that are required to be conducted. So currently, there's a a pre-employment query that you do at the time of hire for a driver. Right. That requires electronic consent from that individual, and you would not want to let them do safety-sensitive functions prior to receiving the query result. Uh, There's also an annual query that needs to be done annually thereafter from the individual's date of hire. That can have written consent on file to conduct that. Usually we find both of those are not being done properly when we come in to do the investigation. Some of the other things that that would relate to the clearinghouse would be failing to report prohibited conduct. So as an employer, if a driver commits certain prohibited conduct, you may be required to report that to the clearinghouse within a time frame. Uh, Most of this is listed in Part 382.705 of the regulations. Just to give you a heads up for that, if for any listeners, if you want to refer to what things as an employer you're required to uh, report to the clearinghouse. Additionally, I do want to point out the clearinghouse, if you're not familiar with it, has a multitude of educational resources on the website. And they are set up by various user types. For instance, there's a section for employers, there's one for owner operators for a medical review officer, so on and so forth. So if you're one of those parties and you need a little education with the clearinghouse, please log on to the website, go to the tab that has you as the type of user you are, and browse through there. See if there's something you can find that's going to help you to determine how you need to use that clearinghouse. Well, I think from a, from a driver's perspective, especially a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of your trucking companies out there, I think do understand and know 
uh, most are aware, I think, of of uh, the uh, the clearinghouse and how it works. Um, but the one thing I, I can say is that from a driver's perspective, they don't always know or understand, you know, how that works and what that means as far as their employment is concerned. Um, we have, you know, a responsibility to do the things that we need to do in order to maintain, again, that safe status that we that we all want to maintain. Um, but the the flip side of that is, is that the driver then needs to be aware of that that reporting that's going to happen is going to go on a permanent record. It is going to be in a clearinghouse. Uh, I know as an industry, um, you know, you've seen almost a hundred thousand uh, that are out of the picture right now for for marijuana use. Correct. And um, that's a pretty significant number when you talk about the deficit that we deal with each and every year in terms of drivers that are needed. There's a whole segment there that, as across the country, we're legalizing marijuana, um, but it's not legal for <laughs> for everyone to just go ahead and use. And so it's you know kind of a um, a difficult spot to be in. So very important that you go to that website and and, and learn about those things, both from the company perspective, but also from the driver's perspective as well. So you said you had a couple of things there that uh, uh, you felt uh, were were really important that that, that we should know. What are some of those other items? So I'll jump into uh, what we call driver qualification and or driver fitness. It's primarily part 391 of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. There's quite a bit to driver qualification, and we routinely see issues here during compliance reviews, uh, whether it be failing to complete an application for employment for a driver. And I'm going to refer to 391.21 of the regulations. That lists the minimum criteria that an application must contain. So keep in mind, you can't just go down to your local staples pull off a stack of applications and have those filled out. Right. There is some specific DOT information that needs to be on there. Uh, the MVR or motor moving violation record that needs to be obtained from an official source, typically the state of licensure for your driver within 30 days of their date of hire. The medical examiner certificate as a general rule of thumb if you are subject to Part 391, you do need a DOT physical card that everybody commonly refers to it as. There are a few exceptions, but a common, a very common mistake made in Ohio is some folks are told if you do not leave the state of Ohio, you do not need a medical card. Hmm. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. I hear it routinely. Hmm. So it is imperative you educate yourself that if you're operating a commercial motor vehicle and you know that you're subject to Part 391, whether you're leaving the state of Ohio or not, you do need a DOT medical card. Okay. Uh, and then if you have a CDL, please take that medical card to the nearest BMV office. Have it added to your license. That's a big process change right it now. It is. We're, we're, we're dealing with that ourselves because a lot of times it was that we would go and help the driver out, take care of that stuff for them, and you can't do that anymore. And I do want to point out, I, I apologize, I don't know the exact date, but I believe it's next year or 2025. The medical review officer will be sending the results directly to the state, okay. BMV, to eliminate the third-party issue and so on. Uh, be be prepared for that because that will be a change as well. 
mistakes could happen as mm-hmm. states prepare for that process. But for the self-certification, drivers want to make sure they choose option one. That's letting the Bureau of Motor Vehicles know you have to have a medical card. They're going to look for it. And as the expiration date approaches, they will let the driver know, where's your new one? We need to see a new medical. If the time frame expires to where they have not been provided a new medical, their license will be de- downgraded. They will right. no longer have a, a valid CDL at that point. I can say from from my perspective, because I still carry a CDL, and I, I did drive several years ago, um, that that process, as far as the notifications uh, that come from the state and everything, is pretty smooth. Um, I you know it's when you're trying to corral something new, a uh, new way of doing things. I think it's always interesting to see whether or not it's going to be a success or a failure, and how it will be a success or failure. And I, I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job of keeping track of that stuff. Now we just kind of have added some new wrinkles with the driver going and and reporting that DOT physical directly uh, down to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, which, again, you know, you're cutting out the middleman, probably removing any room for error through that process, I guess, is is the goal. Correct. And and also I want to point out, as long as the driver maintains current address information, mailing address, that's when they will receive that notification data from the BMV when the medical card is set to expire. Okay. If they do not keep that current, they better be watching and and supply that medical card. Otherwise, events will happen. We see it routinely to where they do get a downgraded CDL. Even though they had a valid medical, they failed to uh, let the BMV know, and it was the process did not complete because of an inaccurate mailing address situation. All right. What else do you see? Uh, wrapping up part 391, I just want to re- shout a quick reminder. Everything that you do at the time of hire, keep those items permanently in the driver qualification file for that individual. Uh, we'll jump over to hours of service. That's primarily part 395 of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. We could we could spend a ton of time on this, <laughs> but I do want to highlight, since we're in the world of ELDs now, uh, electronic logging devices, I want to touch on some common um, mistakes, some, some uh, errors that are made related to that. Uh, unfortunately, folks have the mistake of install and forget. I put it in the truck, I'm done. I'm here to tell you there is literally no difference in monitoring ELD data versus the old paper logs. It's simply a different format. Sure. If you make that mistake and just let it go, things are going to happen. And the roadside data will take place to where, as we were talking about earlier, the types of audits that are done, I'll be assigned an investigation and it's after the fact you're too late if you catch it at that point so always always be monitoring your eld data to ensure accuracy completeness software versions always be in communication with your vendor make sure they are on the approved list for the fmcsa's website because they can be removed from Mm -hmm. that list 
And there's a lot of providers out there. I know that space a few years back, you had so many new entrants into the world of VLDs that it was it was almost to the point of ridiculous if you're going to, you know, some of the, the trade shows and conferences and those types of things. Very interesting to see how many different providers there were at one time. So very important that you, you know your provider is an actual approved provider. Absolutely. And and as I said, make sure that you are in communication with them so that you have the most recent and current software version at all times. As the hours of service rules change, so will their software. Uh, but as your devices change, as electronic uh, communication in general changes, as you go from 4G, 5G, so on and so forth, those versions of software are going to change. And if you do not have the most current software version, you could have an issue during roadside inspections. Uh, internally, within your headquarters, make sure that you are monitoring what we call the back office. So someone is in charge of reviewing all of the ELD data as it comes in. If there is unassigned driving, it's handled. ELD accounts are set up properly. They're deactivated properly. There's a lot that goes on with ELDs. That was one of the big things that we learned about. I'm sorry to cut you off. But no problem. It, it, it's one of those things that we wouldn't have given a whole lot of thought process or credit to, but it's completely legitimate. When you have a driver that leaves employment, you've got to remove them from the roles because it creates that opportunity that you could potentially assign that driver some unused uh, uh, log time from someone else to try and make things legal. Not something we would have thought to do, but... Uh, at the end of the day, the the point's a, a valid point. So I, I think a great, again, tool for us to, to have learned, okay, let's get them off the rolls right away so that it doesn't, doesn't leave you any question or doubt as, as to what the legitimacy is of the logs as a total are. And that, that daily audit is just as important. You know, making sure that your your entire fleet, if there's any violations or issues, we, we get those addressed immediately. I, I agree, and definitely from the internal perspective, if any special driving categories are allowed or utilized, that they are properly annotated. Tell the story. If you remember on the old paper logs, the remarks section, right. that was your diary, so to speak. What happened? What did you encounter? The annotation now in ELDs takes that function over. So if those special driving categories are going to be used, how did you, how were you able to use it? Tell the story. Don't just simply take personal conveyance for an example and not annotate it. It will be questioned, uh, especially if it's a longer type distances and things are not looking proper on a roadside inspection. Uh, from, from a driver's perspective, briefly here during roadside inspections, some common things that we see with ELDs would be not having the instructions for the device with them. Uh, keep in mind they, those can be an, in electronic format, but the driver needs to know and be able to articulate to the inspecting officer that they are on the device. Right. They are electronic. Too many times I'll ask and they don't know or they'll say, I don't have them. And later on it gets discovered they did have them. Yeah. They simply didn't know it. Yep. Uh, additionally, at least a minimum of eight blank paper logbooks would need to be with them. Uh, and of course, we're talking when ELDs are required in case the device does malfunction. Uh, 
Uh, and the device needs to be in a fixed mounted position that's visible to the driver when he's in the normal driving seated position, not laying on the floor, in the seat beside him, so on and so forth. Those are some of the more common things we currently see with ELDs. As I said, we could we could talk about hours of service for quite for some time. Yeah, um, but those are the some of the more hot items right now. Uh, one mistake that drivers don't don't want to pursue on the road is falsifying the log. Yeah, because that's still, as I said earlier, paper logs, ELDs, they're the hours of service rules themselves did not change. It's simply the format. So what's the difference between a false log that's on an ELD or a paper? Just the format. Right. It's still false. If they log off duty and continue to drive, for example, that will be discovered uh, during a roadside inspection or definitely during a uh, compliance review. Sure. Don't make those mistakes. And as companies as a whole, if they have good policies and procedures related to hours of service, they are training their drivers at the time of hire and routinely after that fact, theoretically, those things will be kept to a minimum. They're going to happen. Sure. It's it's the nature of the business. Well, there's, there's still a human element here. Correct. And, I, you know, we regardless of how hard you try, there are going to be some things that may get missed or, or something that gets screwed up. And I think that's an important perspective for both sides of the house to, to, to remember. Um, but uh, I, I know specifically when you start talking about your ELDs and having that information available for the driver so that he can hand it to the individual that's doing an inspection, we it's one of those things, fortunately for us, we've been able to solve on the spot. But... Um, you know, the, the information's right there in the truck. You just have to know where it's at. And if you forgot that, you know, that can create some problems, uh, or worse yet, it could create a violation. So you want to make sure that your fleet's educated in those regards. Anything that you would say in terms of equipment that kind of stands out, uh, you know, before, before there's an inspection, something that might cause an inspection, is there anything beyond, uh, that CSA score that if you run that and you see, okay, this is the we need to we need to take a, a closer look at this individual's truck or that sort of thing. Are there any triggers there that you can talk about? Absolutely, and th- and thank you for that actually because you're segueing me in my next portion here for vehicle maintenance. Uh, that's typically part 396 of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, but it also does involve part 392 for a pre-trip and 393 for the parts and accessories of basically what your question entails. So obviously, from a pre-trip perspective, the most common things that we're going to see that would trigger a roadside inspection are lights, brakes, and tires. Those are your most common used items on those vehicles. They're the most common ones that are therefore going to have some issues. Uh, So as long as, and we're talking theoretical because things happen, I could inspect a truck a thousand times in a pre-trip thousand times it passes and the thousand and first time it heads down the road a light goes out that it just happens but theoretically good thorough pre and post trip inspections will catch probably at least 90 to 95 percent of the items that someone like myself might that would trigger a roadside inspection Uh, I do point out that there are the minimum items in parts 392 and 396 to look at for pre and post trips. I highly, highly encourage folks to have 
company policies that go above and beyond those the minimum. minimum. Correct. Sure. One thing I do want to point out that is not part of a pre- or post-trip in those regulatory sections, but probably should be as part of a company policy, is the DOT annual inspection. I cannot tell you how many times I find that violation. It is so preventable if a driver simply took just a minute. Do I have a current DOT annual inspection for my truck? And do I have one for my trailer? trailer. And simply looking at a sticker, it's there, and not verifying is it legible, and you don't have a paper copy, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. So that's something I always recommend to companies is please make the annual inspection part of your internal pre- and post-trip inspection process. Uh, That's a very common violation we find on the roadside. Now, if we can, if as a carrier, we can supply you with a paper copy, uh, especially for the trailer, uh, is that, if I can get you a copy of that, does that, uh, or does it need to be right at the time? So for example, we have, we have the ability to be able to put the sticker on the front of the trailer that, that takes care of that. If it's not legible for some reason, and we, we can email to the driver, or email directly to you a copy of that inspection. Does that satisfy or? That's a great question. I don't want to speak for Everyone, other states sure. or other investigators, yeah. but the regulation does require that it be present with the vehicle. Okay. Uh, some inspectors may allow that process to be able to send it uh, via text or, or email or mm-hmm. something, but I would I would feel that most of them would say, it's required to be here it's either expired i can't read it you don't have it gotcha gotcha what uh what would you say kind of as you know your final notes of of the things we as carriers need to know or we as drivers need to know i I, you know i think just as important as carrier side is is the driver side of things and especially when you start talking about that roadside inspection at the end of the day it's down to that individual that's inspecting and the driver that's behind the wheel so I, when I complete investigations, when I complete roadside inspections, so on and so forth, I tend to leave everyone with one word, proactive. It is up to you to learn and follow the rules and regulations. Uh, keep in mind that while we're out there doing roadside inspections, doing compliance reviews, we're just as much human as you. Uh, we're not out there to put people out of business. We're there to keep everyone safe. And it's human nature to be nervous when you don't know what to expect. But if we activate our lights behind you on the road, usually we've done so in a safe location that there's a, a location nearby that we would like for you to pull into. Please be just courteous with us as we will with you. And understand that the PUCO we are a resource for you. If you have questions and need assistance, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be honored to help you with a a presentation, come to your business and educate you on the rules and regulations. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website or reach out to one of us if you have our our contact data. The website for uh, PUCO, do you have it? I do, I believe it's www.puco.ohio. 
That works. And I will tell you you're correct, sir. I still have your <laughs> business card. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Mike, I think a shining example of uh, the, the helpful side of things um, is absolutely present today in the conversation. I appreciate you taking some of your valuable time away from the things that you need to get done to be able to come in and do do a uh, and have a conversation like this one. Um and uh, uh, I know in the future we'll we'll be able to see you in some other spots. I had some conversations uh, about uh, Toledo Trucking Association. We'll be doing a, a luncheon here in October that you're going to be a part of, and I appreciate the, the time you're going to spend up there in advance. Uh, I think the message here is an important one, which is why I felt compelled to say, hey, can you do this episode of Beyond the Cab for me? And hopefully that the, the, the folks that are listening, both drivers and other carriers, if you're listening, get a real sense of the, the, the actual nature of what the job is that you do and the reason that we do it. You know, there's there's not a us versus them type situation here. This is about everyone maintaining a good, safe uh, set of equipment, safe practices and safe, safe roadside um, situations as they as those come up so i appreciate the time today mike thank you so much and uh you've just been listening to another episode of beyond the cab 